Welcome to this episode of Out of the Best Books, the podcast where we deep dive into classic literature and have conversations about what we've learned and discovered along the way. We love all things books and reading, and we want to share our love of the classics with you. We hope to inspire you to read along with us and join in the conversation. I'm Laura. And I'm Amity. Let's get started. Okay, so we're jumping into the second half and last half of The Wheel on the School by Mindart DeYoung. This is where things really begin to pick up. Things are very fast paced. Things begin to happen, which is exactly what the teacher said in the very beginning, isn't it? He said, when we begin to wonder and think, things begin to happen. And I love how Mind Art Young vividly shows the magic of just what begins as a thought, then turns into action, then turns into reality, you know? So just to kind of quickly summarize before you jump into your chapters. So we are in the little fishing village of Shora, which is in the Netherlands. Um, They're surrounded by dikes. And it's this tiny little village. There's six children that go to the school. And apparently storks build that. Yeah, they build nests on just about every other house around them in these other villages, but they never come to shore. And they've decided that one of the reasons is that the roofs are too pointy and there are no trees. So they decide that if they can get a wheel on top of their school and then eventually on top of other roofs, then the storks will be motivated to come and build their nests in shore. So they begin to wonder and think about this. They begin to put it into action. And all of the kids just become so passionate about this to the point that it kind of becomes this entire village effort. And it's kind of beautiful because where we started out is everybody's kind of separate doing their own little thing. The village is very quiet. Everybody's just working and doing whatever. And then they have this common cause that builds community and unity. And it's really sweet and lovely. And so they have found a wheel They went through a lot to get that wheel. It was stuck under a boat and it had been under that boat for 80 years. And many people in the town, including these very old codgers, and I say that very purposely, one of them is this man named Giannis who has lost his legs. He's very grumpy, but the kids are able to pull him out of his shell and they are building lots of community. And where we ended with the first half is Lena has found a wheel and it's underneath the boat and it's been underneath that boat for 80 years but they are so determined and that's the one that they're going to get out and so she is sitting on top of this boat with old dua and now they're waiting for everybody to come and help them and that is where we stop and where we start and pick up so what happened in chapter eight is the the wheel had fallen into the canal aolka and jella are like unable to get it out or they get some of it out in pieces i think everybody had gone searching for a wheel and everybody had found a wheel yes. but most of them didn't work out yes so lena's is the only one that seems like it might really work but you're right we're gonna back up because their wheel did fall into the canal and so in chapter nine we're backing up because they're desperately trying to get it out there especially yes. the rim so yes so they're trying to get it out and they can't And so they come into town just soaking wet. 
Aelka and, and Yella are just, and they're looking for a rake because they think that if they can get mm-hmm. a rake, they can, they can pull it out. So when they come in, they see into town, they see Dirk and Pierre are standing at the entrance of Yanis's backyard. And if you remember, Yanis is the legless Yanis and he's mean. He has the cherry tree and he's like protecting it all the time. And he throws stones at boys and birds that come and try to take his cherries. So that looks a little funny to them that these the, the twins are standing in the, you know, the backyard is open and they're standing there. And so Aelka goes over to explain the situation, but Yella is scared to come close to Yanis. And Yanis, he thinks that the wheel could be put back together again. But the iron part that's still in the canal, they're going to need to get that out. They kind of talk about that and then they switch their attention back to finding a rake. And so I thought this was a great picture. And I think this would have been a back in the day, maybe would have been a great movie, right? So all four of the boys want to push the wheelchair because they're all pushing it, it's making the wheelchair go very fast. <laughs> and Yanis is bouncing up and down in this wheelchair and it's unsafe. <laughs> and so he says that he likes going fast and it's almost as much excitement as when the shark bit off my legs. So he's kind of embraced this story that the boys think that his legs have been bit off by a shark. So they get back to the school. Yanis is moving so fast that he just almost runs into the teacher. And he says to the teacher, I think I like that man. Never had much to do with high-minded teachers since I was a kid, but he means business. I thought teachers just chalked, but he doesn't fool around with the words. He goes and does things. And so they end up taking a rope from the bell. The teacher has to be really strategic about how he gets the rope down because he doesn't want to ring the bell because then everybody will come running. But he's able to do it. And then they use that to tie Yanis to the wheelchair so that he won't fall out while they're running so fast. And then... I also love so then they're all going with the teacher and they go slower at first because they're worried about what the teacher is going to think and then mm-hmm. once they realize that <laughs> he doesn't care then they they go full speed when they get down to the canal basically i believe that yanis is trying and trying and trying to get the iron rim out and he isn't able to do it he tries 10 times and he says that mud must be bottomless here and then the teacher I liked this too, what he said. He said, I don't know, teacher, but it looks to me like you'd better send a telegram to China. Have you guys seen a wagon wheel rim down there? (laughs) This reminded me of being a kid. And I haven't thought about that since I was a kid, that China was supposedly directly under us. (laughs) Directly through. If you kept (laughs) digging, you would dig a hole all the way to China. That's what I thought. I think that's what we all thought as kids. And then Aelka sees the hub of the wheel. And Yanis at that point just pulls up a pail of mud. And the teacher wants to try and go get the hub. He's kind of feeling left out, like he hasn't been able to do anything. Yanis then ties the rope to the rake. He keeps saying, I haven't had so much fun since that shark bit off my legs. He says that so many times. But mm-hmm. And then, then I like that little exchange about the shark bit, biting off his legs and how he says he tried to kick his teeth out. But they're like, how did you kick his teeth out if he had your legs in his mouth? And, and then Pierre is kind of playing along with the joke. Which yes. is also funny. <laughs> I he think says, that Pierre has kind of become his little buddy. And we'll see that through the rest of the book. Yeah, and he's not scared of him. Yeah. Like the others are probably. Yeah, he kind of plays along with the joke, which I think is funny. The teacher comes back with a hub and Yanis pulls on something and then the rope breaks. And so they've lost the rake. And then I think they say like, well, there went the only rake in Shora. <laughs> I mean, just to think about that, like. 
an item like a rake is so rare and so precious to them. And they're like, whoops, there it went. Janice then hears the women screaming. They know that some that somebody's in trouble somewhere. At that point, they hear the Tin Man's wagon, which Auka is with the Tin Man. This is where those timelines kind of converge. Mm -hmm. And so he's coming in on the wagon and he's standing in the middle of the wagon yelling something at them. They had taken the long route to Shora because the Tin Man wanted to take his family on this whole drive because he was so excited about his new wheel. And then Auka thinks that somebody has drowned because Yanis is there. And like, Yanis is never around. <laughs> and then at that point, at the end of the chapter, then the horse just kind of runs to the canal. Oh, they want to get a ride to where the women are screaming. And so they say, well, let's wait because the wagon is going to take us there much faster. They don't think they realize that there's so many people already on the wagon. Yes. <laughs> so that was, I thought that was a kind of a fun chapter. And I like that Yanis is kind of coming alive and becoming part of the story. And yeah, not so scary to everybody. So the next chapter, chapter 10, is called Wagon in the Sea. And so basically they all jump on the wagon. He's a very descriptive writer. I mean, you can see this. Yanis is holding onto the back of the wagon, but he's kind of like halfway under the wagon. So just his head is poking out because he's catching a ride. His, his wheelchair is going faster than the wagon. Yes. <laughs> so he's got um, the teacher and I think Yella back there trying to just keep him upright, upright. and not dying. So yes, it's a picture, like a very vivid picture. So the horse is getting slower and slower because of the extra, it has a lot of extra weight now. And I like the sentence, the, the wagon looked fast and the tin made it sound faster. <laughs> it wasn't going fast enough, then the tin made it sound faster. I liked the way he wrote this. Yanis had taken a stout grip with both hands on the back of the wagon. The rope around his chest kept him from bouncing out of his chair. He was riding almost under the wagon. Only his head and shoulders poked up from behind. The teacher and Yella ran beside the wheelchair, straining and panting to keep the bouncing chair upright. And then this is hilarious. Yanis is yelling, Ola, I'm guessing that's how you say that, from behind the wagon. But the tin man tells him to stop because it sounds too much like, whoa, he's afraid the horses are going to get confused. The horse is actually going faster because the excitement in his Yanis's yeah. voice is yeah. making them go faster. The women are basically what it says is staring in mute unbelief as the wagon comes storming and banging toward them. And all the women are on the dike. A farmer is supposed to come with horses and wagons to rescue. If you remember, Lena and Dawa are stuck on the upturned boat and the tide is coming in. This is, this, it is complicated. There's a lot there's, of- There's a lot happening for sure. Lena's mother opens the gate, but the horse is not able to make it up the hill to the dike because everything is so heavy. So Yanis, he, it, we're quickly discovering, is the brains behind every operation here. He yells for everyone but the driver and the kids to get off the wagon and push. And his wife is at the top, and she is shocked when the wagon comes up over the crest and she sees Yanis coming up with the wagon. He spins around and sees Lena and Dawa are stuck. Yanis, he spins around, and that's when he sees what's going on in the water. So they unload the wagon with all of the tin because it's heavy. The tin man and the horse are supposed to go out in the wagon, out into the sea. And they see Lena is frantically waving her hands and Dua seems to be giving her instructions. I love, too, that they're always like looking in the distance and they can kind of see what's going on, but they don't. Mm -hmm. 
kind of guessing. And what she's saying is that she wants the wagon to come up over the boat so that then they can pull the wheel up. The kids are so excited that Lena has found a wheel in the boat. The Tin Man thinks that as soon as they get the wagon into the water, that the wheels will come off really easily. So they bring the wagon out a little bit. Yanis is wondering who was screaming earlier. And it was the women, but now they're not panicked because there's people there to help. So anyways, so they get the wagon, they get the wheels off, and then they lower the tailgate so that Yanis can be wheeled up onto the back of the wagon. All of the men and the boys get on the wagon to add their weight. And Yana is, um, I love this too. It's so true. Yana, the wife, is scared. Oh, and yeah. Yanis is like, this is the best thing that's happened to me in so long. <laughs> and he is so excited. I really liked this part too. After a moment, Yana looked down at what she was doing. Her fingers in her pocket were rooting around the smooth stones that she had picked up along her bread route that day. They were extra smooth and round, extra special ones for Yanis to throw at birds and boys. She pulled them out and looked at them. One by one, she dropped them at her feet. Then she looked at the floating wagon and she says, bring them all back to safety, Yanis, wheel and all. So I think she's like, I think this part of our life is over. Yes. We're no longer throwing stones at these. Yeah. And she honestly was probably so relieved because it sounds like she was like gone all day. She, I mean, at that point she is literally the breadwinner. In in this case, she's actually the bread seller. Like she would bake bread and she would travel around all day selling bread. She was probably so exhausted. It was just like, okay, this is what you want to do. All right. I'll help you. You know. Probably stopping to go, oh my gosh, what a horrible thing to do. But in this moment, she's able to kind of reflect and go, oh, I think we're done. Yeah. Isn't that just like, I felt like that little piece was like the evolution of Yanis and her. Like this, things are changing and and it's going to be better. So the horse loses its footing in the water and starts swimming. And the kids are trying to exchange information with Lena And Yanis is like, no, 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 wait. And I love this. Shut your magpie mouths. So basically what they want to do is float the wagon over the boat. And Lena and Dua are supposed to climb onto the wagon. And they had marked where the wheel is with a buoy, which I think the buoy is just the cane, right? Because they tie the rope to the cane and it's floating. Oh, that's that could be. Yeah, They use the word buoy, but I'm kind of. They do. But yeah. That, yeah, that would make sense. It never said that they actually like took a buoy out with them. Yeah. Unless he randomly had one in his pocket, like just a small fishing one or something. Yeah, I think it. I think that's what they were talking about. So the horse doesn't want to start swimming and they, they need it to get right above the boat. And so they kind of struggle with that. And I just love that with all the help, Yanis is the one, he's the brains and he's also the muscle. And so he's the one that does everything, but he needs help. So like the wheelchair is, they're constantly holding his wheelchair so that he's able to use his strength to pull. Yella is supposed to reach for the cane. And then once he gets it, they hold the wheelchair so that Yanis can then pull it up onto the wagon. The wheel comes out, but then it loosens the wagon and the wheel gets stuck under the wagon. And then um, (laughs) Duha and the teacher hold the wheel while they're holding the rope. And the kids tip Yanis into the water to get it. It's just to get the wheel all the way. Oh my gosh. And then finally able to get the wheel free. And you're kind of watching this as like, or reading this as like, I mean, they're racing against the tide. Yes. They have to get And the the storm. Yes. I mean, and it kind of made me laugh. Like, this is like nothing happens in this town ever. 
And there's a lot happening and a lot, a lot of things that are like life and death right now. Yeah. I just, it must've been very exciting, right? So we're going to keep seeing this more and more. You said, you know, Jan is kind of, he jumps and he takes charge and he's going to keep doing that. He becomes a very valuable character in this where he started out as kind of the villain in the book. And so I was just thinking about it. And I think it was in this chapter that it just struck me. And maybe it's just so simple. It's something everybody thinks about. But I just wrote down actually in the very back of the book, I said, everyone desperately needs purpose. We all do. Whether we think we do or not, we need to feel needed. Like we have something to contribute to this world. And if we don't, if somebody doesn't have a purpose, they will go looking for it and often end up in very bizarre, ineffective, and ultimately destructive places. And we find that with Giannis, you know, I mean, he was pretty restricted in what he could do, but he kind of did the worst that he could with his situation, right? He had his little cherry tree and he was going to throw rocks at boys and birds. He was going to like fight people off, cut people off. He, he didn't, he wasn't seen anywhere. So he isolated himself. He kind of isolated his wife in a lot of ways and he kept people at bay and he was cruel. Like if a kid came into his yard, he beat their butt, you know, he found his purpose, but it was very destructive. And then I just was thinking if they can be turned from a destructive to a meaningful, effective and constructive purpose, their entire demeanor will change. Not to mention their life and the lives of those around them. Unless of course they're an actual like psycho slash sociopath, like then they, then no, there won't be any change. But if you are just a normal person, you really can experience change. You have to be given a constructive path, you know, and helped along the way. But once that happens, your personality just about changes, your demeanor changes, like, and you start realizing and recognizing the value and beauty of community and of doing good things. And, and you become a force for good rather than ill. Anyway, it totally reminds me of the, I mentioned this last week, I think of a movie, Pollyanna. Yeah. If you were talking, I was thinking about the mean old lady that she's mean. And then somebody gives her the project of sewing these quilt squares and she just like starts smiling and she works really hard and like produces hundreds of these quilt squares to donate to the, anyway, some kind of charity. But I just, it just, and then the man that has the it lives in the house with the prisms and then he mm-hmm. adopts a little boy and then he has a purpose and mm-hmm. you know this girl Pollyanna moves into this town and gives all of these people purpose yeah she sees yeah that that is what they need in their life because because without purpose without an outward purpose you have an inward only purpose yep. extremely selfish And you start doing all these things to block everybody else out and to completely focus on yourself. So tomorrow is the first day of school for uh, my nieces. And Mm -hmm. one niece is going into middle school and one's going into high school. And the one that's going into middle school is scared. And she's like, Mm -hmm. I'm so worried. And my sister, not so her aunt, not my, not her mom, but her aunt was telling her, why don't you go into school tomorrow thinking about who needs a friend? If you can look outside of yourself and say, like, what can I do for other people? Then you're not going to be worried about you and like, if you're going to have friends or if, you know, I thought that was really good advice. Like it is perfect advice. Anyways. It really is. Yeah. Like, and, and it, she's going to school with 
a purpose. I told her, I said, everybody's feeling how you're feeling. Absolutely. So So you're going to find somebody who needs that. That's wonderful. It really is. I've heard different people talk about how, like, if you're feeling like a victim, go volunteer at a soup kitchen, get out of your victim mentality and go serve somebody. First of all, see what you can do for somebody else, but also kind of see that the world is much bigger than just you and people actually do have it worse and oh, yeah. you're you're going to be fine. It's just such a wonderful life lesson. Everybody needs purpose. Okay, let's jump into chapter 11. So this is called The Storm and the Storks. So as we said, you know, the storm is really building up, building up, building up, and it pretty much breaks as they get onto the dike. And it is now in full force and it is just wild. The wind is crazy. The rain is crazy. It's awful. It's the middle of the night and where we see little Lena and she wakes up and she hears all these voices and she realizes that all the fathers have come home. So they hadn't really said much about it before. I guess maybe it was inferred just because it's a fishing village and we didn't really hear where the fathers were, but they're all fishermen. So they've all been out on the sea and they're gone for like weeks at a time. They never really know when they're going to see him again, but they all made it in just, I mean, the storm had already started and was pretty fierce, but they were just fine. They got in close enough to shore and then they they were able to to make it in and, and all the women had awakened, gone out to help them get their boats ashore and get them home and everything. And Lena thinks, oh, I'm going to go down and see my dad. And then she's like, I'm so, I'm already like really wet. I'm just going to, I'm just going to duck under my covers for just a minute. And then she suddenly opens her eyes and it's morning. (laughs) What's her heart? Like how many times does that happen? But yeah. And I wouldn't want to sleep in that attic. No, not at all. And this is something that's really interesting is, well, at least for a while, closet beds were kind of all the rage, especially like in a guest room or, or something very wealthy, people would get like a wall bed, a closet bed, whatever in their houses. Well, this is what they had in their houses here in Shora because they had these very small houses, which they kind of describe a little bit later. And so their beds really had to just like be on the wall and you could had you had to like close them up. They're super high up their closet beds. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. So the next day, of course, is Sunday. Like the first half of the book takes place in like a day, really. <laughs> the next day is Sunday and the storm is just raging and raging. And Lena goes downstairs. She sees her dad. He's like fast asleep on his very high bed. But her mom's like, it's okay. Go ahead and go to church. So she heads to church and they're basically promised all the dads are going to be there. And I'll tell you why in just a minute. So she meets up with all of her schoolmates and they make their way into the church. And it's kind of, it's just very difficult to even get there. They're bending up against the storm, but they said, well, I don't know if anybody else is going to make it. Yella said, my dad said that when you come out of a sea like that and step on a solid dike, you want to go to church right then and there. They'll be here. It makes very holy and believing men out of sailors when they're able to make it home safely in a storm like that. And so, and they do like the children are there in the church basically by themselves for a while, but then they look out and they see the women coming and then they see all their fathers coming. And then wonder of wonders, miracle of miracles, Giannis shows up. He comes into the church. And this is when we find out that again, like he hasn't shown his face in church in years. And he's kind of worried that people are going to pass out 
when they see his face in church, but he goes in, he actually like sits back with the kids and they're all so worried because the storm is huge and fierce and they don't know how long it's going to go. But some people are saying it's going to be days and they're like, well, what about the storks? Are they going to all die? And he's like, I've been watching birds for years. They're going to be just fine. They're going to make it to shore still. The people kind of start looking back at them because they're all kind of sitting in the back and he's like, you kids be quiet. You know, <laughs> kind of like pretends to be fierce with them, but it's just, it's so cute. So then the next day is Monday. The storm is still raging. All the children in Shora are just pestering their fathers. They're like, we don't have to have school today if you come and help us get the wheel on top of the school. And they're like, no, leave us alone. And some of them are pretty rough and pretty harsh. And I think that this is not made up. I think that. This really is how probably a lot of fathers used to talk to their children. I'm sure a lot do still, but like it was just a rougher time, a rougher area. They're very much seamen. They're fishermen. Most of them are quite uneducated. A lot of them, their children, even in just their few years of school are more educated than they are. And they work very hard and they're providing for their families as well as they can, but they're pretty gruff. And they said they're not there much too. Like, yeah. The kids aren't really used to being around their dads. And it's something that they say, well, they know they can pester their dads because they don't really actually know how they're going to react. But they're they're like, well, they'll say no, but then they'll come do it. They're like, if we pester our mom, she's just going to say, knock it off and go away. You know, like, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. They know their moms because they're around their moms all the time. You know, they don't know their dads as well. They all fail. All the dads say, absolutely not like get your hind end to school. So they meet up. They're all like really downtrodden because they're like, oh, none of our dads are going to do it. And they had actually hatched this plan before that they had all agreed they were going to pester their dads. So they get to school and they're telling their teacher that they failed miserably, that their dads weren't going to come. And he's like, well, they're pretty smart to not want to climb up and try to do this in that storm. But then he says, your fathers will come through. You know that. If not today, the first possible day that the storm will let them. And Lena is like, did they tell you that? And he said, no, they didn't tell me. I know that. And all of you ought to know it too. Fathers always come through when it's possible. It's the way of fathers and mothers. And there's the rub. You know, they are, they're kind of rough and gruff, but they are good fathers. They come through and not, of course, not every father and mother does that, but the good ones do. And these are very devoted families for sure. So the teacher in the meantime is like, well, the storm is raging. So we do need to go ahead and do our schoolwork, but the kids cannot concentrate for anything. All they can think about are the storks. And then after a little while, they hear all this noise out in the sort of entryway and they realize it's their dads. Their dads all came. They all showed up. They like, they didn't even communicate. They just like started coming out of their houses and like, oh, yep, we're all going to this. So they cute. do. They, I know. It's so dear and and they brought like all their ropes and their boards they really didn't know how they were going to put the wheel on the school but they're like all right like welcome to it i just love it the best part is they start working away on this they start trying to figure it out and all of a sudden Giannis shows up he is again he's the brains behind the whole thing he like tells them exactly what they need to do and i don't know if he's just the smart one <laughs> He has time to think. He is. He is. He's this 
burly guy who was an excellent fisherman in his day and super strong, but he's, he is, he's very, very smart too. He says, so it says he rolls up and he says, when it comes to doing anything on land, you guys are about as helpless as the fish are. Let's use our heads. Better yet, I'll use my head. He's like, yes, I will be the director, which every project does need. You can't have an effective project without an effective leader. Yeah. And he is that. He's very effective because he's really smart. He thinks through things. He has very much an engineering brain. And people listen to him. First, he tells them how to get the ladders to actually stay against the building because the wind is so fierce. Remember, they're doing all this in a storm still. And then his idea is he's going to cut these little V grooves into the wheel because remember that the roof is very, very pointed. So he's going to cut these V grooves into the wheel. And then they're going to drive these holes through the roof in a couple of places and put some bars through that, some rods, I'm sorry, so that the wheel is resting both on the roof itself and on top of these rods. And then they're going to lash the wheel to the rod. So it's on there very sturdily. He'd never really seen any wheels on house. I mean, I don't think he'd ever actually observed how the wheels were attached. So he just came up with this, but it totally works. And, you know, he's trying to give everybody jobs, especially the teacher who's just sort of standing there helplessly. He's like, you go find some rods, you know, he's like, that guy's making me nervous because he's just sitting here. So they're all working hard. They're all working away. And then who should come, but all the women, they come with coffee and they come with treats. And Giannis is like, none of you are getting that till the wheel's on there. <laughs> so the women go into the school. Something that happens that's also really sweet is, you know, he's sort of bossing everybody around. And some of the dads are like, you just need a whip, Giannis. You're, you're a slave driver. And he's like, my tongue is my whip. You know, they just kind of like start giving stuff back to him. Like there's sort of this back and forth. And he realizes they're not actually being mean, but at the same time, they're also, they're treating him as an equal, which yeah. he hasn't gotten in a long time. He's like, they're really talking to me man to man. Even if it's sometimes a little more harsh, they're treating me like one of them. And that was a huge moment for him as well. They get the wheel on the roof very successfully. And then they go into the school and they all have this picnic with fat balls and coffee and or I'm sorry it was a hot chocolate wasn't it hot chocolate yeah in fact that's what they they have all the time is they just talk about having hot chocolate and these fat balls and cakes and I was like what is a fat ball because apparently it's something that they only normally had on Santa Claus day which I don't know if that's Christmas day or a different day in December oh no it does say they had steaming coffee and cakes and fat balls they did have hot chocolate milk for the boys and Lena. Then they have one food on Santa Claus Day and they had another food on another day, but they never had it on the same day. Super excited. Yeah, the, having... the hot chocolate they would only have on the Queen's birthday. Yeah. The fat balls they would only have on Santa Claus Day. And so I looked it up and the, maybe this isn't totally accurate, but it just basically says that fat balls are like these balls of suet. So like fat, then it would have like just like seeds and nuts and probably dried fruit and things like that. That sounds awful. It kind of does. Kind of does. But it's just always interesting to find out what uh, people consider treats. Yeah. Yeah. I just thought that was the sweetest thing when all the dads showed up. Well, first of all, the, I loved these two chapters. Yanis, when he shows up to church, is just like, <laughs> I mean, he feels included. Like, that's probably why he came to church. And I think it yes. sounds like his wife comes to church. 
every mm-hmm. week, but he didn't normally. Yeah, I don't know. It just kind of was like a lesson to me about people, how they need to feel included. Yes. And then, and that maybe that's why sometimes people don't include themselves in things is just because they, anyways, that's what he needed. And then the dads, and I also liked that the pestering their dads didn't work, but then once the kids left, the moms got on the dads. That's yes. Very good. I've read about that little detail. That is hilarious. (laughs) I mean, because that's how it is, you know, you're like this weekend we're with my family, but kind of, it's kind of a family reunion, but my brother's visiting from Montana. So we're all together. He has a two and a half year old and a three month old baby. And the two and a half year old was like bugging him and he wasn't paying any attention. Right. He was like talking to somebody or something. And then his wife was standing on the side. She was bouncing the three month old. And she's like, Brett, she needs you to do this. You know? And I was like, Oh my gosh. I looked at her and I go, that's exactly how it is. I'm like, I'll say, David, she's trying to get your attention. Like, but that's how moms are. That's like yeah. our job. We're so yeah. in tune with the kids, you know? So in tune all We're the time. like, honey, they need your help. They've been trying to get your attention for like the past 10 minutes. And the dads probably didn't know what a big deal this was, but the yeah. moms had seen, because they had been there, and the moms yeah. had seen them trying so hard. Well, and the moms were all there on the dike when they, you know, had gone through all of that to get the wheel itself. And now they're like, um, we were there for that part. Now you go put it on the school. Yes. Yeah. It's like totally a normal family situation. (laughs) Yeah. So chapter 13, which I thought was so funny when I saw the title and I'm like, Flotsam and Jetsam? Mm -hmm. What the heck? Are we going to meet new characters? Like, what is this? Anyways, the storm, it goes on for three more days. I think this is a big, they're in a fishing village. Like, aren't they kind of on an island? This is a storm. This isn't like, I don't know. I guess where I live, we don't really get storms. It's not like a... We'll call them storms, but it's not like this. No, no, no. Yeah. So, and like, it's so bad that the people keep their shutters closed to keep the windows. Okay. So the tiles from the roofs are flying off and hitting Mm -hmm. the windows and breaking them. And so that is a storm. So they keep the shutters closed to keep the windows safe. Yeah. And and I thought that was kind of an interesting insight. Like I was like, oh, that's what shutters are for. I mean, I'm sure that shutters are also for like to make it a little extra dark and, and things like that. But to protect your glass. Brilliant. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so the fishermen are frustrated because they're stuck at home and they don't like being stuck at home. Not only are they stuck at home, they're not fishing, but they're also inside. The older kids are able to go to school, but they can't think about anything but storks. They're worried about what the storm is doing mm-hmm. to the storks and what it's yeah. going to do to their efforts that they're making here. So on the fifth day, Lena's dad throws the dominoes because I, I don't think we mentioned that the kids are all playing dominoes with their dads. They had all planned, let's go home and we're all going to play dominoes with our dads when we go home. So he throws them off the table and he says, I'm done. And so he goes out to the boats and then all the other fathers start coming out of the houses and they're all headed down to the boats. They start to get everything ready to go out to sea the next day, whether the storm stops or not. They're like, we have to get out of here. And the women are so happy that they're gone because they get to clean their houses and then open their windows and let some fresh air in. Oh, and I just loved this too, that the weekly newspaper comes and it comes once a week and it's two pages and they all share it. There's one copy for the whole village. And so by the time it gets to the last house, it's like torn to shattered, shattered, but they all read it. So while the 
the men, now they have to stop playing dominoes because they're reading the newspaper. They read it aloud to their kids. And then it just mentioned that Auka's um, dad had skipped a part, which Auka looked at the newspaper and saw the word Africa. And he's like, hmm, I wonder what this is about. And so he reads about it. And it's about the migration being affected by the storm, which, and it says, I mean, the newspaper article is like doom and gloom, right? Like it's going to affect the storks for years to come. Like they're never coming back because they, they all drowned in the sea. They kept saying the storks went down. So Oka like runs out to find Pierre and Dirk, even though there's a storm, none of the kids had heard the news. So all the dads had skipped this article, which is so cute. Purposely didn't read that to their kids. Yes. They're like, <laughs> we're just going to skip this part. So none of the kids had heard any of this news. And so they, who do they decide to go ask? They're going to go ask Giannis. And so the kids go to the door and Giannis invites them in and wants to share his hot cocoa with them. They're like just adding water to the hot cocoa. So it'll stretch further. It'll stretch further. Gross. Really cute. <laughs> I know it does sound gross. Ugh. And the kids ask him if he'd read the newspaper article about the storks. And he says, yes. It's like, but what does this newspaper guy know? Like, he sits in Amsterdam in these buildings. He's never been out on the ocean. He's never been a, a fisherman. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And he says, the storks are too smart to go down in a storm. He says, he thinks all but a few young storks will have made it through the storm. And they're like, but wait, at church on Sunday, you told us that we were counting on the young storks to come. So what are you talking about now? He says, well, the storm is actually going to help them because it scattered them and they won't be able to go to their old places. So they're going to have to stop. I mean, if I understand this right, they're going to have to stop sooner and they might come here because they can't go as far as they usually go. And he says that they need more chocolate, more hot chocolate to settle their nerves because of that blasted newspaper, which I think is just oh, so cute. It's really, really cute. Yes. And he's just so like taking on this role of their sort of like their mentor, their sort of like their grandpa. (laughs) Yes. He's their friend. He's helping them. Yeah. He takes him into his living room, which his wife is totally embarrassed about because of what it looks like. And he shows them that he'd been working on Aelka's wheel and he'd used the rope. This is cute too. He'd used the rope from his and the tin from his cherry tree to put it back together. So he's like, really giving up on this yes he really is turning around completely it's a 180 yeah and he says i'm hoping that when i get this fixed i'm gonna put it on my house and lena says well that's what the teacher said if we just start then we're gonna start getting more wheels and we're gonna you know it's gonna be on every house she said now look there's already a second wheel for a second roof who knows maybe someday there'll be a wheel on every roof in shora thanauka says and the trees we're gonna plant trees and Giannis says that he has plans to make a wheel for every roof. All he needs is wood. And that's what happens when the storms come. They bring in the wood and then the kids, and he says, give me something to do. And the kids are like, we'll bring you as much wood as you need, wherever you want it. And I kind of like too, what he says is like, you know, I can make a something that's like a wheel. It doesn't have to be a wheel. It just has to have like spokes. Yeah. Storks aren't picky. It just yeah. needs to function for them. They're not so. like, it's not round. We're not nesting there. <laughs> yeah. Yana says they are absolutely not going to have a wheel factory in her living room. Then Yana says that they'll put it in his shed. And I loved this. They'll put a sign on the shed that says the wheel factory of the Shora Wheel and Stork Society. 
And then Yana adjourns the meeting, says she's the vice president and sends all the kids home. <laughs> it's time to go. Yes. Oh, so cute. Like, yes. I mean, he's just like, I have a purpose and I, I can do this. This is something I'm capable of. And yes. And which again, it's like, you know what? He can absolutely contribute. There's so many things that he can do. And so instead of focusing on what he can't do, which he'd done for years, which that's not to take away from the devastation of losing his legs. That would be awful. But he was so focused on everything that he couldn't do that he didn't ever stop to think about what he could, except I can throw rocks at boys and birds, you know? And actually, I can't remember if I've talked about my cousin on here before. Maybe I have. But my cousin, when he was just a little guy, he was like, I don't know, I want to say four or five. So he grew up on a ranch. His his parents are, are ranchers. And his dad had some type of machinery. I want to say it's the thing that like binds the hay together and stuff. Anyway, and so little, my little cousin, little at the time, he put his arm into this thing to try to help and it just ate his entire arm. There he is. He's like four or five and his arm, his right arm got cut off. He just had this stump. I mean, I kind of remember him with an arm a little bit, but really all of growing up, he just had this stump and they tried prosthetics over the years, but nothing really worked or was comfortable, especially with the type of labor and work that he was doing. I mean, they were hardcore cowboys. He just, you know, his parents never babied him. They never like, oh, you can't do stuff. And he never let it. I mean, sure there were, I'm sure there were days that it was hard, but he never let it get him down. He was quite the, the dancer is quite the scholar and he breaks horses for a living with one arm. I have this incredible picture of him that maybe I'll use as my Instagram post. I showed it to my kids as part of our scripture study one day. It's amazing. He's riding this horse. He's in the middle of breaking it. And so it's like, you know, got its head down. Its legs are about to kick up. So there's just dust everywhere. He's got one hand on the reins. He's holding on to other reins with his mouth. It's just incredible. He's amazing. Yeah. He didn't let one arm stop him from doing like things that a lot of people with two arms can't even do. That reminds me of our, like our organist at church that is blind. And he, I mean, I can't even imagine. He hasn't been going to church for his whole life. So he's kind of new. So he doesn't know our songs like most of us do. Right. Yeah. And Every week he gets the hymns on Sunday and he listens to them and he memorizes them. And by the next Sunday, he plays them for us, like for us to sing. He's, it is amazing. I mean, just even, even the fact that he has to, he he has to memorize them, but then he has to like in front of everybody, figure out where to put his hands and he plays the foot pedals. Yeah. It's insane. I just cannot believe, he just does not let it stop him. Like he's like, it's so it, yeah, it's wonderful. I mean, what an amazing service he does for us. He works so hard on the hymns all week so that we can sing three songs, you know? So chapter 14, the tots in the tower is the name of this chapter. So the kids wake up at school time and the fathers have been up all night getting ready to leave on another fishing trip. And the sea is a little bit different today. It's calmer. I think they're going to get to go. The kids run out to the dike. And I think when they get out there, the fathers are gone, right? They think they see like, yes, they're very small out in the, I don't know if they even see them, but they, they're gone. 
And they notice that there are sea eagles, but no gulls. So I think they're Mm -hmm. still a little bit worried. The teacher rings the bell on the bell tower. And when he goes to ring the bell, he leaves the iron gate open. And then he realizes that he needed to wind the clock or it would stop because it had been so stormy. He hadn't been able to wind the clock. I guess he climbs up to do that. All the young children are playing in the town square. So all the kids that are younger than school age. Now it's the little Lena's little sister's name is Linda. It's spelled Linda, but it must be Linda. Probably. Which cracks me up because Lena and Linda, they're very similar. (laughs) Like, how did you keep them separate, you know, separated in your mind? I don't know. So Linda is Lena's younger sister and Jan is Auka's younger brother. And they are, they decide that they're going to go make daisy chains. And so they wander into the churchyard, I guess is where they are. They see a bed behind iron bars and it's hanging from the wall. And like, as soon as it started describing, I'm like, uh oh, it's like a prison bed or a yeah. jail bed, which that's yeah. what it is. Yeah. They realize it's the jail where they put bad men and their mothers had threatened them before, both of them. Like, if, you're bad. We're going to go take you to the jail and put you behind these bars. So at that point, they hear footsteps and then they see what is the teacher coming down the ladder, but it scares them to death. And so they jump in to hide behind the bars and then the gate shuts and locks them in. But the teacher is gone by now. So they are locked in this, which is interesting because the, it's the jail, but then they can't get out of the gate, but they can go up, which is interesting. Yeah. The jail... Yeah. Was it makes me wonder if the jail is not actually used anymore. They decide, to think, since they can't get out, that they're going to climb up to the loft because then at least they won't be in this scary situation behind bars. So they just keep climbing and climbing. There must be several lofts as they're climbing these ladders and getting onto the next level. Jan is scared, but Linda is more like, let's keep going. Let's keep going. This is great. Jan loses his shoe and wants to jump down to go down to get it, but they don't know how to go down. They've only figured out how to go up the ladder. So Linda gets rid of her shoes too to make him feel better. And then they realize that they can climb easier with just their socks on. Jan is crying. Linda keeps pushing him forward. They get to the clock first. And then the next level is where the bell is. And Jan is scared, but he gets under the bell and he's just laying under the bell. I, he he's must be fascinated by it. Yeah, he's watching it and mm-hmm. he doesn't ring it, right? Or he's just mm-hmm. laying under it. So Linda is looking, she's able to see out. There's like, it said there was like three walls that were kind of windows, right? So that she's able to see out. And so she at first lies to him and says that she sees storks. She says, come see the view. She can see the whole village. And then she lies about seeing the storks and because she's trying to get him to come out from under the bell. And then she looks out over the sea and she does see two storks and they land in the ocean and then they're just standing there. Then it flashes back to the school. And so he does a lot of this. Mm-hmm. back and forth but lena and auka's mothers show up at the school because their kids are missing they have no idea where they are so the teacher organizes a search party there's not much schooling going on <laughs> it's like it's real life school it's yes. it's school of life and he sends the kids out to look and he's like go where you guys looked for the wheel and now you're looking for the kids so mm-hmm. he'd already organized this so lena is with yella who doesn't seem too worried about the kids. They're walking and he says, the teacher should have rang the bell so that everybody would come and help look for the kids. 
And she's kind of thinking, this isn't good. Something's going to happen to him. She's more worried than Yella is. And she's like, I wish I was with Aoka because then he might care more because his brother is also missing. Yella and Lena get to the dike and they see there are two drowned storks in the water. And Yella says he's going to run and go tell the teacher. But Lena gets scared. And so she kind of runs after him and follows him back into town. Now, Linda and Jan can see from the tower that Yella and Lena are running from the dike. And Yella is holding two dead storks in his hands as he's running. I I mean, storks are big, aren't they? They're big. Yeah. Like dragging them. I don't know. I don't know. I tried to picture this the whole time. I'm like, these little kids carrying storks. Maybe they're not as big as I think they are, but I think they're still pretty big. But the kids can see that they're carrying these two dead storks, but they aren't the right storks. They are not the ones they're living. Okay. Yeah. So he's running along. And so Linda calls out. She's like, those are the wrong storks. And Lena hears her and she's like, wait, what? She doesn't pay attention to what Linda says. She just hears the voice. And she's like, where are you? (laughs) And when she figures out they're up there, she says, I'm up here. And Jan's, he's back under the bell again. (laughs) He keeps calling to him. Lena tells her to find a stone and to throw it at the bell so that they can get somebody's attention. And so she, at first she picks up this stone that's super heavy and she can't throw it. It just drops to the ground, but then she's able to, throw it at the bell and it makes a big bong and then that scared Jan who's laying under the bell (laughs) says he comes squirming from under the bell he liked the sound so he's laughing but it scares Linda anyways so he wants to know how she made that noise and she shows him the rock and so everybody comes well and then they yeah so it's the teacher and Yella that climb all the way up there and like do you want a piggyback ride and they they take them all the way back down. It's really... Okay. They're scared of the teacher. So Yeah, Yella... they're not sure about him. Yeah. Yes. Yella and the teacher bring them down on their backs, down the ladders. And yeah, he's like, <laughs> they're scared of the teacher because he's kind of quiet and doesn't talk much. And All the dads that they know are fishermen. So they're not exposed to men very much in general, and especially probably not men that are not their dads. And so there's this guy who's not a fisherman, but he's this ever-present male. And it's like, what do we even do with this? And he's not old, <laughs> you know? So they weren't sure what to do with it. And it's really funny, too, because the the whole time they are terrified of what their moms are going to do. They're like, oh, we're going to get it. Like, oh, no, here comes our moms. They're going to be so yes. mad. And they're just sobbing and sobbing. And of course, as would happen with any child, you know, that you've lost and then you find them like that's all forgotten if they did anything wrong to get lost oh well you're just smothering with kisses you're so relieved to see them and that's exactly what happened here and they're kind of confused but they're like okay they didn't know they were lost (laughs) yeah but they're just so the moms are like oh we have you back i don't care what happens they are pretty sure one thing that yella says is oh my gosh the newspapers were right all the storks did die because they see so many that have drowned. And so they're pretty much in despair. But Lena and Jan know differently. But of course, they've sort of been through this big experience. And so they forget to tell again that Lena and Yella had the wrong storks. But 
finally Jan rem- remembers and he brings it up to Auka and he's like, you guys had the wrong sort. Auka figures out what he's saying. He goes and grabs Yella, I believe. Auka says to Jan, he's like, does Linda know? He's like, yeah, she does. And he says, Linda, being a little girl, knew 10 times more words than Jan. Linda could explain herself. I'll go ask Linda, Auka said. And so he does. He goes and asks her and she's like, oh, yeah, I told Lena wasn't when I was in the tower, but she didn't hear me. And then I forgot. But two storks flew and flew and then they flew down in the sea. I saw them and I showed Jan. You can see them from the tower, Auka. So Yella and Auka go back to the tower. Um, It's all locked up now. So Auka like climbs over the fence. He goes into the tower, he climbs over the fence. He's like, it's true. They're there. And so Yella wastes no time in going and gathering everybody up. He kind of forgets about Auka. And Auka's like, oh, they're going without me. And then he's like, this is what's most important right now. So he goes and gets Giannis. Of course, he gets the teacher and he gets all the other kids. They take this dinghy, which is like a little boat, out onto the sea. And Giannis, of course, he's like, we only have a very short amount of time until the tide comes and those storks are goners because they had landed on this sandbar and evidently the female stork, I believe it was the female stork, had gotten stuck. And so the male stork had tried to fly away, but she couldn't follow. So he went down and stayed by her and he wasn't going to leave. Even if the water came in and drowned him, he wasn't going to leave her. So they're going to stay there. The, I mean, the male stork is not going to leave. The female stork is stuck. And so Giannis is like, we have just like not very much time until the tide comes in and then they're goners. And so they get into the boat. So it's Giannis, it's the teacher, it's Yella. And then they also take Pierre and Lena. And Auka is watching this. He's like, why didn't all the kids go? And then he realizes, oh, Pierre and Lena are the tiniest ones. They're going to take up, you know, less space, be less weight. And they are going to be the ones that hold the storks. And Yella, you just, you're like, who is this kid? He's just this big Holland Dutch kid that's just strapping boy who does all the physical things. Giannis had brought a rope so they could tie him to the boat so that he could have enough leverage to to row. He brought gloves for the teacher because he knew the teacher had never really rowed before. So his hands were soft. And so he'd really thought of everything. Anyway, they are rowing their little hearts out. It takes a long time. The teacher has to take a break, but Yella and Giannis just keep going, keep going. They finally get up to this sandy bank and Giannis is like, Pierre, it's fine. Jump out. I land on this sandbar all the time and run around. It's totally solid. You could do it. But you've got three minutes. You've got to go get those storks and be back here in three minutes because the water is coming. And so Pierre just takes off. A little while later, his little head pops up over the hill. He's got the storks and he like leaps into the boat. The water is right behind him. And they help him in and he just lands on the bottom of the boat. He's sobbing. He has both of the storks, but he's like, you lied, Giannis. I got stuck in the sand. The water almost got me and the storks were stuck. I had to pull them out. And Giannis is like, oh yeah, well, I guess with all this storming, it probably did make the sand kind of, kind of more like quicksand a little bit. He's like, but you're fine, aren't you? They row back to shore and Pierre and Lena are holding these storks in their laps and they're half dead. Like they're very um, just lethargic basically at this point because they've been so cold. They'd almost drowned and just exhausted. So they get to shore and when they get there back to the dike, 
all these people in the town are there to greet them and to help them. And we find out that the other kids had gone and gotten them. They'd made all these preparations so that they'd be ready for the storks. And so they take the storks back to the school. Aoka had started a fire so they could warm the storks. And that's what they do. They go warm up the storks for a little while. And as soon as the storks like start looking alive again, the whole time Giannis is like, hold their necks. If they they might peck your eyes out, you know, which they weren't going to do while they were super tired, but they start warming up, getting alive. And not that they were dead, but, you know, just looking alive. So Giannis is like, okay, quick, we got to get them on their wheel. So Yella and Pierre take them up there and Yella has the male and it's just like pecking his head and it's like pulling out tufts of hair. He finally just like throws it up on the wheel. It lands. He gets the female up there. They just take to it immediately and everybody's just watching them. And and it's just this amazing little, just sweet and celebratory moment. And then the male stork He gets up and he flies down to the ground and he picks up a twig and he flies back up and he gives it to the female. And she, it's like, she accepts it and she pulls it towards her as sort of like this promise of more to come, you know, that this is the start of their nest and everybody sees that. And Giannis, I'm going to probably, I'll just give his direct quote because this is the very last page. He says, they're grateful. They've shown they're going to stay and build their nest. And he says, now let's all quietly get away from here and leave them alone. And as they're going, Giannis is like, you can't believe it. You can't believe it. Storks in Shora. Storks in Shora, Lena repeated. But I can believe it, Giannis. It's so impossibly impossible. I can believe it now. And the teacher says, ah, yes, little Lena. So impossibly impossible that it just had to be. And the long dream, storks on every roof in Shora, is beginning to come true. And that is the end. So cute. So good. Yeah, it's just, it's crazy that you can write a whole book about storks (laughs) coming to a fishing Making nests on a wheel on roofs in a little fishing village in the Netherlands. Who knew? I loved Giannis and his wife and the teacher was just so good and Every character, you just come to love them. And Mindart de Young, he's teaching some very deep principles with this book, which is really how you know it is a classic and a children's classic, especially because it's telling this sweet, lovely, beautiful, fun, engaging story and also teaching these incredible principles at the same time. And it definitely qualifies as one that children love it and adults do too. It's one that you never really outgrow. So I was looking up other books that he's written. And there was two that came up. Okay. So one was called The House of 60 Fathers. Yeah. And that one, it says, is about a young Chinese boy who struggles to return to his family after his sampan is washed ashore on enemy territory during the Chinese occupation. That okay. looks really interesting. Have you ever read anything else by him? I haven't. I'm. I saw that title and I was like, "Huh, House of Sixty Fathers." There's this other one called Journey from Peppermint Street. Yeah, I'd be super interested in reading some more of his books. Yeah, and then there was one called The Singing Hill. I I thought this sounded interesting. Six year old Ray discovers and passionately befriends an old abandoned horse in a nearby hilltop pasture. When his friend is threatened, the boy is able to rise from the loneliness of the young to the courage of the loving. I thought that sounded really interesting. Anyway, so I found those two. And then I was trying to think of other books and I, you probably came up with more books than I did, but I mean, like there's not very many books 
set like children's classics set in the Netherlands or Holland or, you know. Well, I, it made me think of like the little, the story that's pretty well known about the little boy who holds back the sea. He's like going along and he sees that there's a hole in the dike and there's water coming through and that hole can very quickly get big and the entire dike will burst and it'll flood the entire village. And so he puts his thumb in the hole and he stays there all night. And then finally he's discovered and, you know, they're able to fix the hole. That just story came to mind. It's not like this huge. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know a whole lot of others that are set in Holland that like around that time. There's a lot of World War II books set in Holland, but not necessarily children's books. As far as like, we kept talking about Pollyanna. So that's actually a book that I've never read. Have you read the book? I've seen the movie about 900 times. Yes. (laughs) Well, it kind of makes me want to read the book. By Eleanor H. Porter. Huh. I never even thought about it being a book. Uh, Rebecca of Sunnybrook Pharma book, too. Yeah, that's another good one. And yeah, if you think about like Lena. Okay, so if you take it from the angle of Lena is this little girl that's making a huge difference. Mm -hmm. She's the one that started it all. Yeah. You know, that's how Pollyanna is. That's how uh, Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm is. They really are strong female characters. And I I think it's really interesting because there's parts in the book where he's like, well, you know, the boys are thinking, well, she's just a girl. So this and this and this. But he makes the female characters very strong and very influential. And I mean, it's little Linda who takes care of little Jan. But it also doesn't diminish the male characters. The male characters are also very strong. And I think he does this beautiful job of being like, look, they're both very strong and they both need each other very much. Yeah. Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm is by Kate Douglas Wigan. An interesting one to read. It's one I read when I was little, like maybe 10. But did I understand any of it? No. It was the bestseller of the year 1904. Okay. So what is this one? What Like when was it written? So it was written in 19, I wanted to say the 50s, but it's obviously set, yeah, it was 54, obviously set either in the very early 20th century or maybe even the 19th, but so it did make, because we were like, okay, what about other Holland stories? So I haven't actually read this one, but this is on my bookshelf and it's been on my to be read to my kids for a long time. And maybe you've heard of it. It's called Hans Brinker. Or the Silver's Gates by Mary Mapes Dodge. It's a story of life in Holland. It was first published in 1865. The novel takes place in the Netherlands and is a colorful fictional portrait of early 19th century Dutch life, as well as a tale of youthful honor. Yeah, it's either Hans Brinker or the Silver's Gates, which is kind of funny because I think all the books today that you get, it'll say Hans Brinker or the Silver's yeah. Gates. <laughs> Okay. It just makes me wonder if like when it was first published, which was a long time ago, you could get it in either way. Or maybe she started by just calling it Hans Breaker and then it became the Silver Skates. I don't know. Yeah, that looks cute. It looks like you can get some very old copies of it. (laughs) (laughs) I do. I have a new copy of it. but And you've heard of it before? Yeah, I've had it on my bookshelf for a couple of years now because I'm like, I need to read this to my kids, but I've just never had an opportunity yet. So. Yeah, you'll have to read it and then we'll have to yeah. tell me if we should read it. But yeah, that would be yeah. interesting. And is it like a pop? Is it popular? Or 
I've never heard of it before. So I would say in lots of homeschool groups that focus on reading really, really good books. Who knows about it? Yes. <laughs> I'm like, I've never heard of it before. I did start Eden Brook. Oh, you did? Yes. And I love it. <laughs> it is. It's pretty fun. Huh? Here's what it reminds me of. It reminds me of a cross between Pride and Prejudice and uh-huh. The Princess Bride. Oh, fun. Like the That's banter cool. is like, yes. the this reminds me of The Princess Bride. Yeah, it's really cute. It's been probably 12 years since I've read it. So I don't remember lots of details. I just remember loving it because it's one that I stayed up all night to finish. Oh, yeah, it's very Well, cute. not all night, but like way, way into the night. In the beginning, so this girl is, her mother dies in a tragic accident and she's a twin and her dad sends them away and she ends up with her grandmother who, because she's like not the pretty good personality twin. I don't know. Like that's the impression that she has of herself. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the sister goes to this other place that's like, it's better, which is Edenbrook. The sister says, I want you to come stay with me. And the sister thinks she's going to marry this. Where she's going is her mother's best friend's house. The girl wants to marry the oldest son of her mother's best friend. And so anyways, the sister that is with her grandmother is coming out to stay with them for a while. And she meets this boy. Well, her coachman, whatever you call him, her driver gets shot. She ends up in this hotel and this guy kind of rescues her. And it's just very delightful. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Sweet. And I don't, I don't remember it being like cheesy or anything it was just oh. and I kind of expected it to be but it's like not <laughs> but I just kinda, love there's some parts that kind of gets your blood pumping a little bit though you're like oh, oh wow <laughs> anyway yeah it just totally of, it's like a cross between Pride and Prejudice and The Princess Bride so and it's completely clean like it's very very clean and proper but it's just very well written so far I've loved it anyways so what are you reading Okay, so it's so funny that you did that one because I read one that is sort of in the same vein. I just didn't think it was executed as well, but it was a good idea. So I just kind of randomly found this. It's called The Jewels of Halstead Manor, the Ladies of Devon series. It's book one, and it's by Casey Stockton. So it's obviously set in the 19th century. I couldn't really tell from the writing exactly when it was supposed to be. In some ways, I think she wanted it to be sort of Regency, but it's got to be later. Anyway, so it's this girl named Julia, but it's spelled in the Italian way of Julia. So it's G-I-U-L-I-A. So her name is Julia and she arrives at Halstead Manor. And it turns out that she's been traveling the world with her dad, she is the granddaughter of an earl, her dad and her uncle. Okay, so her uncle was the direct heir to the earldom. And her dad was like kicked out of the manor. She wasn't t- totally sure why her mother left her and her father when she was four years old. And they like traveled the world. And her dad loved to write stories. And so she comes to this Halstead Manor trying to figure out the mysteries of her past. She meets her uncle, who's this kind of crusty old man who does eventually come to like her. And she meets Nicholas Pepper, who's like a third cousin. And he is going to be the heir of Halstead Manor because her uncle never actually had an heir. So as they did, they tried to find the next, you know, living relative that could be 
that could inherit. They're just like trying to find out all these mysteries. And of course she's gorgeous. And this Nicholas Pepper is so handsome and they fall in love. And anyway, it's cute. And it was sweet. There were a lot of cliches and I think, okay. And she also used the man and the woman way too much. So for example, she'd be like, she didn't know what to think of the man or that kind of thing. Like, over and over and over, yeah. like way too much. Where was your editor? Yeah. Overall, it was cute. There were things that just like suddenly popped up that you're like, oh, that happened? You needed to flesh that out a lot more. It was a cute idea. And overall, it was it was just... It was okay. It was like fun candy romance, you know? Yeah. Totally clean, totally sweet. Just... Where did you hear about it? I didn't hear about it anymore. <laughs> I just literally was like on Hoopla. I'm like... I don't know what to listen to. And I need just some fluff. And this came up as one that wasn't going to take up any, like it wouldn't count towards your 10 for the month. So I didn't know yeah. that we had books that would. Yeah, I didn't know that either. I just clicked on it. I was like, this is one that's not going to count towards your 10. You basically get it for free. I'm like, well, it's for free anyway, but <laughs> it kept your attention. It did. That's good. Uh, next week. We're so excited that we're going to start Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. I know. And that's one that I have never read. And so I really, I'm very excited. Oh, that's good. You've read everything. <laughs> Apparently not. This is exciting. I'm, I'm excited yeah. just because I think it'll be fun to talk about the Halloween. But so we're going to start that and we're going to do like the, the beginning. There's like a couple of introductions and a preface written by her. And in, I think in my version for some other people too, we're going to go through chapter four. So that'll be fun. And it will cover all of October. So there's four weeks or four. There will be four Fridays in October. So all of October is going to be Frankenstein. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited. Okay. We are so happy you joined us for this episode. We hope you will join us next week as we discuss Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. If you have suggestions for books we should read and discuss, please email us at thebestbookspodcast at gmail.com. We would love it if you would leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts and share our podcast with your friends. We want to inspire and encourage as many people as we can to read out of the best books. As Thoreau says, read the best books first or you may not have a chance to read them at all. See you next week.